The Holy Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. As he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please be Two very different Bible readings this morning, yes? One, Psalm 150. The other one, John 20. First one's from the Old Testament. The second one's from the New Testament. The first one is a poem. The second one is prose. The first one is all about praise. The second one is all about Jesus. There are a couple things they have in common, however. The first most obvious one is that they're both big, climactic, final ending pieces. So Psalm 150 is the very last psalm in the very last section of the Psalter, the book of Psalms. So it's the very end of the whole book. And John 20 is also the very end of the fourth and final gospel. (coughs) Excuse me. We actually, now we actually do have a John chapter 21 in our Bibles, but almost all scholars agree that that was added later. So this originally is the ending of the fourth and final gospel. So both big ending pieces And the other thing they have in common is one word. There's one word that is in both readings. So you can take a look in your bulletin, see if you can figure out what it is. If you do, don't say it out, not yet. I don't want to give it away yet. One big word that they both have in common. But anyways, while you think about that and look for that, let's talk about Psalm 150. All about praise. This is the who, what, when, where, why, how of praise, right? Praise who? The Lord God. Why? For God's mighty deeds. Where? In the sanctuary and in the firmament. So the sanctuary is inside in the temple. The firmament means the heavens. So AKA they're saying praise God inside and outside. Basically they're saying praise God everywhere. And how? Well, with trumpet, lute, harp, tambourine, dance, strings, pipes, cymbals, clanging cymbals, and clashing cymbals. 
Basically, with anything you can get your hands on, with everything you've got, praise the Lord. And so to get at this idea of praise, to emphasize it, there's one word that it uses over and over again. You guys know the word hallelujah, right? We just sang it. So that's a Hebrew word that means praise the Lord. So, and this, of course, originally written in Hebrew, so the first line and the last line in Hebrew are just one word, hallelujah. It's repeated twice at the end. So in Hebrew, uh, hallelujah is two words smashed together. Hallelu means praise, and yah refers to Yahweh or the Lord. And so it starts and ends with hallelujah, but then in between, all of the lines start with hallelujah, 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 right? Praise, 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 praise this, praise that, praise here, praise there. There is only one break in the hallelujah pattern. Can anybody find where the break in the pattern is in Psalm 150? Only one line starts differently. Which one is it? Kevin, that's not fair. You were at the first service. But yes, you're right. It is verse 6. Yes, that is the one break in the pattern to draw our emphasis, our attention to who is it who's supposed to be doing all this praising? Everything that breathes. Everything that breathes, praise the Lord. Awesome. Okay, then John 20, our gospel passage, right? First, let's talk a little bit about what this passage is not about. First of all, really important, especially in light of what happened this weekend in California, to know that this is not a passage about how Jews are bad. The Jews did not kill Jesus. We hear from the Gospel of John a lot about the Jews. The Jews are well translated, the Jewish authorities. And so those verses have fueled over the years horrible, awful anti-Semitism on the part of Christians towards Jews. So it's incredibly important for us to remember the context in which the Gospel of John is written. When John is written, there is no such thing as Christianity yet. Right? It is just a movement within Judaism. So this gospel is written by Jews for Jews, written by Jews who are coming to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is not a Jewish versus Christian thing. This is a rivalry between different groups within Judaism, some of those groups who are cooperating with the hated Roman Empire, which is making them very, very unpopular. So that's what's going on here. Another thing it is not about, it is not about how doubt is bad, right? We have a very doubt-tolerant God if you read our scriptures, right? So doubt is not bad at all. Doubt is not an enemy of faith. Certainty is an enemy of faith because certainty shuts down conversations, shuts down any openings or possibility of change. In doubt, there is an openness which creates lots of openings through which God and God's spirit can move. So if you ever find yourself in a place of doubt, know that that is just fine. God can and will work with that. Okay, so what is it about? It's about Jesus and how Jesus is back. I mean, really back. So John 20, this is the surprise ending at the end of the gospel, and it's the good news. But it's good news. It doesn't happen all at once. It's kind of revealed bit by bit by bit. So at the beginning of John 20, well, let's rewind. Let's rewind back. John 13, that's when we start all the events of Holy Week, right? So let's review. We start with Monday, Thursday, 
Jesus shares a last meal with his disciples, shares his body and his blood, feeds them with it, tells them, go and do likewise. Go feed people. Then washes their feet, tells them to go and do likewise. Go serve people. Tells them he loves them. Tells them to go and do likewise. Love people. Then we get to Good Friday and Jesus' arrest, trial, crucifixion, death, Everyone goes home thinking, game over, we lost. Holy Saturday, everyone's totally in shock. And then Sunday comes. So before, that's, ver that's chapters 13 through 19. Sunday comes, that's chapter 20. And what happens at the start of chapter 20? They find an empty tomb. Wow. Now, that's big, but it's more, <coughs> excuse me, it's more mystery than good news, right? So the empty tomb, it's clearly a sign that not everything is as it seemed, right? But people still don't understand. So it's good, but it's not like pull out the symbols and tambourines good. But then what happens? Jesus appears. First just to one person, just to Mary. Oh, you're so sweet, Barb. Thank you. So Jesus appears, but just to Mary, and there seems to be something about him that's kind of like he's fuzzy or not all there because for some reason Mary doesn't recognize him when she sees him, right? But then that night, Jesus appears really clearly to all of the disciples, and they all see him, can see him clearly. And then the next time we see him, they, they do more than just see him, right? What do they do in our reading today? They can touch him. So this whole chapter 20 is wave after wave after wave of realization on the part of Jesus' followers. He's not dead. He's really not. He's actually alive. He's really alive. We can see him. We can hear him. We can touch him. So this is the story about how Jesus is alive in a whole new different kind of way and wants to make us newly alive, too. And the whole story centers around this clever wordplay in verse 22, which centers on... Well, hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Did anyone find the word that's in common between the two readings? Kevin's forbidden. Lord, a bigger, a more distinctive word than Lord. Nice try, though, John. I said one word. I Breathe. Yes, I heard it. Breathe. That's right. In Psalm 150, everything that breathes, praise the Lord. And then in John 20, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you guys know what a homonym is? So one word that can mean two different things. Like you know how in English the word ring can mean a band on your finger, but it can also mean the sound a bell makes? Okay, so in both Greek and Hebrew the two languages in which the Bible and these passages are originally written, in both Greek and Hebrew, the word for breath and the word for spirit are homonyms. One word means both things. So in Hebrew, ruach, and in the Greek, pneuma. So that's, that's the, the word play in verse 22 when it says Jesus breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. That's the same word twice. Right? So it actually says, Jesus pneumed on them and said, receive the holy pneuma. And that's not the only place in scripture that we get a wordplay with this word. So like Genesis 1, 
the creation story, two equally valid ways to translate that passage. Do you remember how this goes? In the beginning, there's a, uh, all there is is darkness, and there's a deep void, and all of a sudden, in the darkness, God's breath or God's spirit moves across the waters. And with nothing more than voice, God speaks the universe into being. The other place is in Ezekiel 37. You guys know the story of the dry bones? So there's a valley, just a big, just a big graveyard, nothing in there but dead, dried up bones. And God comes into that valley and says, I am going to pull you up out of your graves. I am going to raise you up from your, your graves, and I'm going to put my breath or my spirit within you, and you will live. And all of these bones knit themselves together and come back to life, and there is life where once there was death. This is our God, people. This is what God does. God breathes a new thing into being. God pulls us up out of whatever graves we're in. God breathes a new and holy spirit, puts a holy spirit within us. God lives to give us life, to make us so alive that even though one day we will die to this world, we will live forever in the arms of the Savior who lived and died and lived again so that we might have life in his name. And to get this new life, what do we have to do? How do we get it? We don't have to do hardly anything. We don't have to believe the right things or say the right things or behave the right way. We don't have to have our act together or have all the answers. We definitely don't have to get rid of our doubts. There's only one thing we have to be able to do, and it's this. We have to be able to receive it. We just have to be able to receive the gift, which sounds really simple, but is not actually always that easy, right? Receiving can be really hard because it requires letting go of control and it requires giving up independence and, and um, letting go of the sense of having it all together. And that's tough. Sometimes for some of us, at least for me, it is really, really hard to be willing to just step back and surrender everything and receive it all as a gift. So I'm going to take a few moments, do a personal inventory. You can close your eyes if it helps. I'm just going to think for a moment. How good are you at receiving? Receiving help? Receiving feedback? Receiving compliments? Receiving a gift you didn't do anything to earn? Receiving assistance you know you're not going to be able to repay? How'd you guys do? Anyone got some work to do? It is tough. It's really tough. And I think sometimes we even take a little bit of pride in being like, I, I don't need to receive. I, I, I give. I serve. I, I help others. I don't need the help. It's really hard. So I'll tell you what. We're going to take the year to work on it. We'll come back here next Easter and see how we're doing. Christ lives and dies and lives again so that we might have life in his name. So 
May we know that it is in God that we live and move and breathe and have our being. May we breathe in God's grace, breathe out God's praise. May we find the courage and the strength to surrender it all and receive this gift of gifts. Amen. All good things to think about this Easter season. But the best thing to think about probably is the one from whom this gift comes, this God of ours who loves nothing more than to shower us with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. So many reasons to turn those blessings back to praise. 10,000 reasons at least. That is our song of the day. Would you please stand as you're able and sing. <laughs>